By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. As one of the few types of structured finance transactions that are actively managed, collateralized loan obligation structures are always evolving, changing along with the credit environment. Always having more in common than not, since the pandemic, U.S. and European deals have continued to converge in some ways while going their own ways in others. Meanwhile, all the major players in the CLO market, which is the biggest buyer of corporate loans in both the U.S. and Europe, have largely remained the same in recent years. Some new entrants emerge on both sides of the Atlantic every year. I'm Aaron Johnson, and this is Moody's Talks Securitization Spotlight. In today's episode, analysts Ian Perrin in London and Shan Lai in New York discuss the ways in which CLOs have evolved since the pandemic set in. But before we get started, I'd like to encourage our listeners, if you have not already, to subscribe to Securitization Spotlight and to also check out some of the other monthly podcasts from Moody's, like Focus on Finance, which brings you the insight you need to keep on top of developments within the banking, insurance, and asset management sectors. And with that, let's get started. Shannon Ian, thanks for joining me this month. I think you're both rookies on the podcast. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Glad to be here today. So let's get started with a big picture question. What has changed in the CLO market since the world kind of came to a standstill in 2020? Did the CLO market essentially get back to business as usual, or did it have to adapt to changes in the corporate credit markets? Big picture-wise, although the U.S. and European CLOs have evolved over the past three years, with some differences in the collateral, they have remained broadly similar, especially in terms of their structures. Okay, so let's talk about what's new or different then first. Sure. There are a few emerging trends that we see. First, fixed rate exposures are increasing in Europe, but remain relatively low in the U.S. And second, new U.S. sale of liabilities have been referencing so far while assets remain largely pegged to LIBOR, and European CLOs, meanwhile, remain pegged to Euribor. And third, while the manager landscape in the larger and more mature U.S. market is fairly set, the EMEA manager base is growing. Okay, those are a lot of good points you made, Shan. Ian, I'm going to turn to you really quick. I want to drill down on a few of them separately. First up, how have CLO's investments in fixed rate assets changed um, since 2020 or so? Yes, Aaron. So the, the average fixed rate concentration limit has shifted from below 10% to above 10% over the past two years. Uh, in Europe, while in the US, that limit has remained at 5%. And the divergence comes from European CLOs allowing for higher bond collateral than their US counterpart. And to be clear, these are just allowances. The actual exposures within deals are significantly lower. Yes, Aaron, you're right. The actual usage is lower, but it's been trending upward from less than 5% in 2019 to nearly 7.5% this year. This contrasts with the U.S. numbers again, which are less than half a percent. Thanks, Ian. I think we'll get into some driving factors behind that later in the podcast. But really quick, what are the credit consequences for, for transactions, if any, for this, this increase in fixed rate allowances and exposures? Yes, the main consequence is an impact on the weighted average recovery rate of CLO portfolios. Both U.S. and European weighted average recovery rates have been going down lately but the average level of the European CLOs is much lower than that of the U.S. 
And this is because fixed rate collateral, which are typically either senior secured or senior unsecured bonds, carry lower recovery rate assumptions in our analysis. Okay, thanks, Ian. Now, Shan, I want to come back to you and talk about one of the one of the points you mentioned, and that is the the shift from LIBOR to SOFR. Can you talk a little bit about what the impact is and, and how US CLOs have made that shift and why not Europe? On the U.S. side, new U.S. CLO liabilities now fully reference SOFR, five years after regulators began phasing out the rates. However, new U.S. CLOs with SOFR tranches will continue to have some LIBOR exposure to the extent they hold pre-2022 leveraged loans as collateral. But the increase in basis risk will be small and immaterial. And But this is a non-issue in Europe. Ian, is that correct? Correct, Eric. The phasing out of LIBOR doesn't have much impact on European CLOs. And that's because European CLOs typically limit non-euro assets to less than 20% of their collateral. And because the actual usage of this bucket is much lower than a 20% limit. Okay, thanks. Uh, we kind of covered a couple of the points in way U.S. and European deals are, have, have diverged in recent years. Shan, why don't you start us off again and talk about the ways in which U.S. and EMEA deals are kind of coming together or changing in the same ways? There are a couple of ways in which they are converging. For example, the Cayman Islands domicile is now out of favor in the U.S. And there's more flexibility to participate in restructured loans and loss mitigation loans in order to maximize recovery values from distressed companies. Let's talk about that first one, the change in domicile to the Cayman Islands. Since the European Commission added the Cayman Islands to its list of high-risk anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing deficient countries in March 2022, many U.S. CLOs with a European nexus, including those structured to comply with European risk retention rules, have relocated their domicile to new jurisdictions, such as Jersey, Bermuda, or Delaware. Thanks, Shan. And Ian, I'm going to turn to you again to talk a little bit about that other point that Shan mentioned about an increased flexibility to maximize recovery values from troubled companies. And when we say that, what we're talking really about here has been brought on by the pandemic, like bankruptcy exchanges, workout slash loss mitigation allowances, and in in Europe's case, um, loosening of amend to extend provisions. Bankruptcy exchange are common in many U.S. deals, but remain a relatively new concept in Europe. Both sides of the Atlantic, CLOs indenture, have widened the definition of exchanges to include the exchange of one credit risk asset against another credit risk asset. With loss mitigation and workout loan, a CLO manager can inject new money into a restructuring of an existing loan issued by either defaulting or distress obligor. And this can boost recoveries or reduce what is called priming risk. Amend and extend provision in European CLOs have converged towards their U.S. counterparts, for example, allowing for a percentage of long-dated asset following amend and extend, or a percentage of amend and extend without satisfaction of the weighted average life test. To be clear, unlike the, the change in domicile to the Cayman Islands that we talked about, these changes do have some credit implications, and, and they're mostly negative. Yes, indeed, Aaron. The higher share of assets that can be used in the bankruptcy exchange can increase the variability of recovery rates and potentially diminish the effectiveness of trading rules. Amend and extend on the other side could extend the CLO's life and lead to sale of assets at maturity at a discount price. Okay, thanks, Ian. Shan, I'm going to turn to you again really quick to talk about another U.S.-specific point, the return of non-loan allowances to deals. 
What's the driving factor behind that? I know it's it's something that's essentially been gone from U.S. CLOs since uh, pre-2008. So yeah, if you could fill us in a little bit, that'd be great. That's right. The Volcker rule was revised in 2020. And since then, U.S. CLOs have again started allowing the purchase of non-loan assets, typically up to 5% of the portfolio. European CLOs have always allowed for non-loan assets, such as bonds, in their portfolios. And back to Ian, just because Europe has been at the forefront here, I want to talk about the development of ESG investment criteria over the years. Yes, ESG investment criteria have been commonplace, present in all European CLOs and more than 90% U.S. transactions. And that's for this past year, correct? Correct. Um, Okay. And are the criteria themselves different um, on either side of the ocean? No, they're mostly the same. They're all mainly about excluding industries related to weapon manufacturing, tobacco products, adult entertainment, gambling, payday lending. Okay. And what about the mechanics of the ESG investment criteria themselves? How are they enforced or how are they enacted? Okay. So European CLO's ESG requirements are evolving beyond the narrowly defined negative screening of excluding industries and becoming more sophisticated both in terms of reporting, in terms of manager accountability, and in terms of positive screening. And and why did Europe get such a head start where the U.S. is just now this year starting to incorporate ESG criteria in the vast majority of their deals, whereas Europe has had them for a couple of years now, right? Yes, that's correct. And that's mainly because Europe has been driven by the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation Directive, uh, which has been imposed by the European Union. And therefore, that has made that adoption and evolution of ESG criteria has been quicker in Europe linked to investor demand. Okay. And while we're, while you mentioned demand, I do want to turn to one, one other Europe specific topic, um, before wrapping up with Shan. The manager base is growing out there. The U.S. is a little bit more of a mature market. Um, so maybe not as many new entrants. To what extent has the European manager base increased recently? Yes, it has increased. We have around 60 active CLO managers now in Europe. Uh, This is mostly linked to U.S. asset managers setting business in Europe, as well as new entrants in the European market. Got it. And in the U.S., we have well over 100 already, right, Shannon? That really hasn't been changing much. That's right. And and despite the new entrants um, in Europe, as in the U.S., there are still just several large managers who really drive issuance. That's right. Carlisle is now the largest manager in the U.S. and globally, both in terms of deal count and AUM. Meanwhile, in Europe, Blackstone and PGIM take the top two spots, rounding out the top three globally. Now, lastly, before I let you guys go, I do want to depart and talk about a couple new, the newest of the new, the the most recent developments we've seen since the pandemic. But we do think they will be temporary. Shane, can you walk us through a few of them? Sure. There are a few temporary developments. There are shorter weighted average life covenants and reinvestment periods. Typically, weighted average life covenants are nine years in the U.S. and around eight years in Europe. And reinvestment periods are about five years in the U.S. and four years in Europe. But now it's common to see six to eight year weighted average life covenants in the U.S. and about six to seven years in Europe. And reinvestment periods are anywhere from one to five years. Also, we see more static CLO issuance in both U.S. and Europe, and turbo tranches are back in Europe now. This is when a transaction uses a portion of excess interest proceeds to repay junior tranches. 
Thanks, Shannon Ian, for the great analysis. And to our listeners, a reminder to subscribe and pass us along to your friends and coworkers. We look forward to having you back for next month's edition of Securitization Spotlight. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.